we're all feminists. It makes up everything that we do. But then I don't know if we need to put it in the lyrics or in the songs in that way. But I think it's more in terms of how we approach, how we form our team and trying to work mostly with women, supporting female-fronted bands or all-women bands, as well as people of colour in the music industry, trying to bring more people that aren't straight, cis, white men, because they're always here anyway. That was Big Joni, and this is Shiro's, a podcast with a mission to turn up the volume of women's voices in music across genres and generations. I'm Carmel Holt, and what you're about to hear is a previously aired interview from my syndicated public radio show, Shiro's Radio. Shiro's is a deep dive into the experiences and perspectives of women and gender expansive folks in a still overwhelmingly male-dominated music industry. It's a space where we discuss challenges and triumphs, how far we've come, and how far we still have to go. Telling our stories is the first step to making music better for everyone. There must be something in the air, as this is the second week in a row that we have a trio in the Shiro spotlight, and I am so here for it. This week, it's a UK band that have been at it for the better part of a decade. And with a new record deal with the iconic indie label Kill Rockstars, they join a trailblazing lineage of bands like Bikini Kill and Sleater Kinney. But as our guests will point out in today's conversation, something that the Riot Girl movement and DIY punk overall has sorely been lacking in is not only women, but even more so women of color. Big Joni is here to lead the charge in changing that narrative. Back in 2013, frustrated with a lack of intersectionality in the DIY punk scene she was in, guitarist and songwriter Stephanie Phillips put up a post online looking for bandmates to start a black feminist punk band. Drummer and vocalist Shadeen Taylor-Stone joined soon after, along with their first bassist, and Big Joni was born. The debut EP Sista Punk arrived in 2014, and a couple years later, their current bassist, Estella Adieri, joined the band. Outside of Big Joni, Stephanie's a freelance music writer and activist, Estella works with Girls Rock London and is part of the collective behind Decolonize Fest with Stephanie. And Shadeen chairs the Equalities Commission at Musicians Union, is a prominent voice in the LGBTQ community, and is working on a book about Black feminism. In other words, Big Joni is changing the world. With their sophomore album and Kill Rockstar's debut back home just out in November of 2022, and their first U.S. tour starting up in March, I'm thrilled to welcome Big Joni as this week's Shiro's in the Spotlight. Big Joni, welcome to Shiro's Radio. Great to have you all here. Thanks for having us. (laughs) Hello. So we have Stephanie, Estella, and Shadeen here with us. We'll start with Shadeen. Can you tell us what you play and a little bit about your background, how you got into Big Joni? Yeah, so I play stand-up drums in Big Joni and I got into Big Joni because I met Steph at a Black Feminist meeting and um, she'd put a post out about wanting to start a Black punk band and I'd replied and yeah, so it kind of just went from there really and that was back in 2013 and here we are today. Well, Steph is up next and I guess you're the one that started this whole train rolling. Happy 10th anniversary to you. Yeah, yeah. It's a band that I always wanted to exist when I was a teenager. A band that's representing Black women and Black women in punk and it not being seen as a contradiction, but as something that's actually meant to be and really goes together is really important. And it's amazing to be a part of that. And Estella, when did you 
come into the group? I joined Big Journey in January 2017. So I was like a fan of the band before I joined and we like played in the same DIY punk scene and stuff. And when I first moved back to London, I'd like ask this promoter if I could join the same bill that Big Joni were playing in Camden because I wanted to see the band. <laughs> so I play bass in the band and do some backing vocals. So yeah, when their first bassist, Kira, left London, that's when I joined the band. So talk to us a little bit about the beginnings and maybe, Steph, that would be a good question for you. Take us to that moment when you put the ad out. So it was for an event called First Timers and it was about getting more people from marginalized backgrounds to get into music and every band that formed to play their first show at First Timers. So it was a really unique and special event. But yeah, when I put up a post, I don't know what I was expecting really. I asked if anyone wanted to join a black punk band and it was quite popular and it was nice that people really wanted it to exist. And Shadeen like replied more or less immediately and then DM'd me after and was sent me a list of different bands. And I was like, oh, all these bands are really cool. <laughs> so what were the bands? It was like the Pastels, Jesus and Mary Chain in there, kind of a lot of C86 bands based around the idea of drumming, standing up. That was our thing from when we started. And yeah, I just thought, oh, this is really cool. This is definitely something I want to do. And that means I can be a black punk and actually be represented in that and not have to feel lesser in any different way. So yeah, it was a spare of the moment thing. But once we got that space of being like black women in a space and being able to create and do whatever we want in that, I think it's that's a really inviting thing. Did you play in bands before? Yeah, I did. I played in one band before. I started when I was about like 22 on the punk scene. It was like a feminist punk band called My Therapist Says Hot Damn, which is a very long name and hard to say. I was in that band for like two years before Big Journey started. And it was a really cool band and really kind of taught me how to play. But then... I felt like I couldn't really bring my own songs to that band. So the idea of like starting something else was formed then. You said something about not having to feel lesser than. Is that a feeling that you or anyone else in the band had before the three of you coalesced into Big Joni? Well, for me, I feel like there was a feeling of not being able to have the whole of your identity in one space in the punk scene and to be black was to be other in some ways or it was hard to kind of talk about everything in one space so having the journey we can just be our full selves and be political and be proud of it yeah i mean it's a funny one with um punk scenes because obviously people there's a lot of kind of anti-racist sentiment within punk scenes as well but i think it just in general it is a microcosm of a wider society as well so even though I couldn't say I experienced anything sort of explicit. There was always like microaggressions, which I think just like those space of where, you know, like Steph said, it is like you have to put one part of your identity aside and then having to be your black self in an other space. Right. And I know you did DJing before Black Joni. Were you also in other bands as well? No, I wasn't. I was very much involved in the like 50s rock and roll scene. So I used to put on club nights and DJ on that scene. So yeah, more on that side, really just being a music record collector person, hanging around in record shops with my best friend who was, used to run a shop in Camden. 
that sort of thing, really. And what about you, Estella? Where were you at in your musical journey when you joined Big Joni? Yeah, when I joined Big Joni, I was playing in a few other DIY bands. But I first started playing in like bands at school that obviously weren't like real bands that were doing much, but like playing with my friends and stuff because I'd got my first guitar when I was like 13. So I started off playing guitar before I played bass. So yeah, when I met Big Joni, I think I was still playing guitar in my old band, uh, Junk, like that I'd also started around, I think 22 or 23, started after uni. And then yeah, I'd come back to London and had played in other DIY bands there, like Witching Waves. I was playing bass in and briefly drummed in this band called Dirty Girl. So yeah, I was just like on that scene. And that's how I would see Steph and Shadeen at gigs and things. I would love to play something from the new record. Who wants to choose a track to go to first? I would probably say Your Words. Okay. Because I love the synth on it. I wrote Your Words on a bus in Battersea going to work every day a couple of years ago. And I guess it's about a destructive relationship, but it's not from my life. <laughs> it's just imagining the idea of having no power in a situation or kind of feeling like you can't break out of a relationship. Big Joni here with us on Shiro's Radio. The new album is called Back Home. It's their debut for Kill Rock Stars and their sophomore full-length album and track six called Your Words. So we were getting the backstory, everyone's individual histories of joining Big Joni. And maybe this question I could start with Estella, who got a guitar when you said you were 13, mm-hmm. right? And moved over to bass. It is still pretty uncommon, though less uncommon now for girls to start on guitar and definitely not on bass. And I wanted to talk to you just a little bit about what that was like. Yeah, I was quite lucky, I think, because my family were quite supportive of me or my sisters doing anything musical because my parents Mm. really enjoyed that. So like my mum had played like piano accordion growing up and continued a bit in her later life. And my dad had played piano and also done some little bits of like DJing back in Nigeria and stuff when he was young. Mm. So they always liked the idea of keeping the kids busy doing music. Me and my sister had had like the same piano teacher as kids. And then I'd done like clarinet at school. But my sister had already played drums as a teenager. So we already had one doing something like a bit unusual or like with a scene as unusual for this teen girl to be wanting to play drums. I think my parents didn't really know where that came from, but they were supportive of it. So my sister Vicky had introduced me to like alternative music and so... I remember initially I wanted to play saxophone because it can be a good instrument to play after clarinet. But then I heard alternative music and I was like, oh no, I want to get a guitar. And then she was getting a bass as well. And her friend from school's parents ran like the local music shop. So it's very convenient to just get us in there at the same time and sort us out with the cheapest bass and guitar there. And then it's like, all right, everybody's got their things. So it didn't seem like something that I couldn't do because I already had a sister who did it. And similarly, she 
played in bands at uni when she was like 18 drumming. So I'd already seen specifically that it was something that I could do. And I think it was only like later on actually realising that you're told in all these different ways that you can't. But it was like, Vicky's done it, so obviously I could do it as well. It's just like all the small ways where people are like... You're not expected to play the guitar or to want a particular Fender or like I'd see bands. There's always this expectation that the boys would play guitar and the girls would sing, for example. It's like, but I can't really sing and I like play guitar. So that doesn't make sense. So yeah, just things like that. But yeah, I think because I already had that role model, it was like, well, if she's already trodden that path, Obviously, I looked up to my sister as well. So it's like, well, yeah, I want to do what she does because that looks cool. So I'm going to do that. And you're involved with Girls Rock London now, which is such an amazing organization. I always wish Girls Rock was around when I was a kid, you know, for these very reasons. Yeah, I think it's super important. They always talk about, like you said, the kind of messages that you receive as a young person that can really affect that period of your life where you're changing so much and it's such a like seminal period for you. So yeah, if you're constantly being told that someone who looks like you isn't the person who does the sound tech, for, for example, or like plays the drums or like the ways that you can be diminished as a young woman, I think in particular, I think it's really important to have things like Girls Rock intervene at those times and show you that you're not limited by your gender or anything in any ways. And I think it's really important for bands like Big Joni to exist. Representation matters so much. And I think about the Riot Girl movement and Bikini Kill and what that did during that time and how you're leading that charge now for women of color in the DIY punk scene. That's yeah, an amazing so. comparison. <laughs> That's lovely. <laughs> It's about time, really. I'm curious whether the three of you have noticed positive feedback from young girls that may see you as role models, something that gives them the feeling of confidence to pursue music when they felt like they couldn't. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think there are quite significant differences between what we do and the white girl movement I think just in terms of our own backgrounds and who it is that we represent and speak to as well so the cool thing of you know women having a go is there particularly black women but also the white girl movement it was a particularly middle class college educated white movement and I don't think for, you know, what we're doing or what Steph and Asilla do um, with Decolonize, for example, it's a much more broad in terms of the sort of demographic of who mm-hmm. can participate. Because mm-hmm. I think often when we're talking about gender, we often forget about class and we forget that, you know, some people don't have space for drum kits and all that sort of thing. Right. And that means that's another barrier that some people face. So I think in my own particular background, I mean, I grew up quite poor, so there was no, <laughs> there was nothing. But, um, you know, and I think that is the experience of a lot of people of colour. So that is also, I think, why when we're talking about the music that we make, there are issues around access to actually even having the instruments in the first place. And having the space to make noise, because a lot of people don't. So if you're living in a council flat, which I guess in the States you would call the projects, for example, Mm -hmm. 
just the physicality of those things. Where do, where would you go to make those things? And I think that is why we do see people doing things on Ableton and stuff like that, because they can do it in a small space. So it's quite interesting for us as a community to see how we meld like those sort of genres where we've been forced to sort of make things in a small space compared to sort of having the big things. And I think now that's one of the issues that we are seeing broadly, I think, just in sort of indie and alternative music is that we are seeing mostly bands coming out who are from quite comfortable backgrounds because, frankly, the only people that can actually do it now so, yeah, I think those are things that we try to talk about a bit more. And I think it is the next stage that Riot Girls started. And we wouldn't be here without those people doing what they were doing. But we do need to expand the conversation beyond just gender as well in that sense. Absolutely. Yes. And I mean, it's the same thing for feminism, you know, to take a much broader look at what feminism means and intersectionality and be very, very cognizant of that and do our own work. Do you want to talk about how feminism and intersectionality is part of the work that you do? Yeah, I mean, I guess we're all feminists. It makes up everything that we do, but I don't know if we need to put it in the lyrics or in the songs in that way. But I think it's more in terms of how we approach, how we form our team and trying to work mostly with women, supporting female-fronted bands or all-women bands, as well as people of colour in the music industry, trying to bring more people that aren't straight, cis, white men, because they're always here anyway. I'd say that's how we approach bringing that kind of stuff into Big Journey. Big Joni's here with us on Shiro's Radio. The new album is called Back Home. One of my favourite songs on the album is I Will. That's nice. I like that one. <laughs> I Will was written as a song lamenting on the idea of never having a proper home or a home that's kind of stable and a place where you're able to fully put down roots. When I was living in London, I felt like every rented flat or every rented room, I'd just say not rented flat, felt like it could disappear within a month. And so when you're living in that state, you're always at a level of high anxiety. And I was about trying to break out of that kind of way of thinking and become a bit more radical in our approach to housing. Joni's here with us on Shiro's Radio. The new album is called Back Home, and that's track 11, I Will. So I wanted to talk to you about tokenism. You know, it's like the double-edged sword of putting yourself forward in this way of wanting to be the change that you want to see and whether or not you feel like tokenism ever gets in the way of getting that across or how you feel about being the ones that are leading that charge. No, totally. I mean, it's a bit of a double bind in some ways because obviously we're very vocally, we are black women, we are a black feminist punk band. 
But then also on the flip side, that can also become its own sort of cage in a way where people are like, oh, you are this, you know, you're not sort of part of the sort of legacy of Bikini Kill or Sleetakini, which is, you know, how we would love to see ourselves. But And a lot of people see us as that as well, um, because um, those women are, are white. So I think sometimes, you know, we can be victims of tokenism because people want to sort of like diversify their bill, which is a good thing. They should be doing that. But I think it's really trying to sort of break through that white imagination of really a kind of like white guilt, I think, in a way where trying to see you as a black person, but also to actually recognize the craft that is that you're doing at the same time. I think people struggle to do those two things at once. So often you might get a kind of white savior type thing where it's, oh, you know, helping out this band, we're doing this, et cetera, et cetera. But then there will still be a kind of paternalistic kind of attitude to what you make. You know, like we're just popping on there. Actually, you know, this was going, let's just go into it. We had this situation um, with the British Council, actually, for South by Southwest. And we were over there to do um, the Kill Rock Stars showcase. And this is actually a really good example of that kind of clash between tokenism and paternalism. And um, we'd already been to South by Southwest. And the booklet that was showcasing all the bands from Britain Everyone had a really great write-up. It was like two paragraphs long. And in the way that we had been written about, it was essentially like four sentences. And it read like we were some school kids on a trip that just sort of were dropped in to the British Council showcase headliners for that day. You know, like, oh, and then we've just got, you know, Big Joni are passing through. But actually, you know, we were there because we were headlining our new labels showcase in quite an important venue for South By. And it completely didn't put any of some of the things that we had achieved in our career so far. So, you know, obviously supporting working with Jack White on Third Man, supporting Idols, who are like the sort of biggest band around right now, supporting Bikini Kill on their shows, all of these kind of things playing Glastonbury. It didn't put it in there. So it's that kind of unconscious bias that we often need to deal with sometimes where it is that paternalistic, oh, we're doing you a favor, but actually we also don't recognize that you have achieved things which are incredible regardless of your race or your gender within the genre that we're in. I find that when you're talking about women in music too, it's like, here I'm doing this show, Shiro's. I mean, speaking of Sleater Kinney, like, I don't think that they wanted to do this show because it was focusing on women. And I couldn't blame them because they don't want to be boxed in, nor should they be after all this time. But at the same time, until the playing field is leveled, until there's normalization around all of these things, don't we also need to say it loud and proud? Absolutely. And I think, you know, for us, it's like walking that fine line <laughs> mm-hmm. where, you know, it's like we need more women of colour and people of colour in the genre to be getting platforms, etc. But then also sometimes we do just want to talk about pedals and guitars and that sort of thing, you know, and how we work in the studio like any other band gets asked as well. Right, right. Instead of what's it like to be 
a woman in music, and what's it like to be a black feminist punk band? <laughs> exactly. Estella, I haven't heard from you for a while. Do you want to chime in about any of this? You're nodding your head. Yeah, just because you're talking about Slater Kitty, and it's like, are there still, say, in some ways, like quite underrated, despite having 10 albums out or whatever, and being like amazing musicians. But yeah, I think I do understand that difficulty of not wanting to be, like you said, pigeonholed as a woman in music. But then at the same time, it's like you're never seen as the default. The default of a band is five white guys yelling and playing guitars on stage. And then people are like, oh, yeah, that must be a punk band or rock band or something. And then turning up places and people not assuming that you're in the punk band that's going to play tonight instead or just things like that we do have to constantly state that we're a black feminist punk band partly because it's just like a very plain way to say exactly who we are we're black feminists make punk music but just because it's still seen as something that's not the norm or not the default even though punk comes from you know it has such a political origin but yeah it's still seen as we're some sort of weird anomaly anomaly that people just happen to like us and not because we sit within as Shadeen referred to earlier this quite clearly traceable lineage of bands who clearly listened to the raincoats Shadeen started talking to Steph because she saw she had a raincoats tote bag and we supported Bikini Kill and the raincoats were at that gig like if you know anything about our scene, it's a very clear, direct line mm-hmm. from those bands to us. But I think some people are still kind of unwilling to see it. More so, I'd say, in the industry and perhaps some areas of the music press than actual music fans and listeners themselves. Like a lot of people who come to our shows will be like, oh, I can hear that throw music's reference or Jesus and Mary Chain or whatever. I feel like a lot of people who listen to us can actually connect those dots, but the industry is still very conservative in its expectations. And because so many of the gatekeepers are still cis white men. Basically, yeah. You know, even as lineups continue to diversify, it's like if you start looking at labels or booking agencies, all that kind of area, again, sounds lighting and production. All the people in charge tend to be white cis men, almost like laughably interchangeable. So it's just like, of course, things aren't going to change if it's like the same old guard kind of holding it down the whole time. And I think particularly with that sort of old guard, rock and roll is about fantasy, isn't it? So it's either they want to fantasize about being the person in the band or they want to fantasize about being with the woman in the band. And, you know, if you're not fitting into those two fantasies then you're kind of irrelevant, basically. They don't know how to connect sometimes through other means other than through their own egos, really, (laughs) to be honest. So true. So you are proudly out there identifying yourselves as a black feminist punk band, but we've just gone through several minutes of talking about how the industry is so still dominated by cis white men. How do you all navigate that? How do you stay positive and keep doing what you're doing? What is that experience like? What is it like being a black feminist? <laughs> yeah. How to get it. <laughs> You know, we've tried to curate the kind of people that we want to see more in the industry. I think just naturally through always being who we are, we've drawn people to us that are similar to us and have a similar kind of outlook. But I think once you get out of our little bubble and definitely once we got out of the DIY scene, dealing with 
that everyone is the same kind of straight cis white men type thing was quite unusual because it does feel like they've just have a completely different worldview and a different way of seeing and hearing things that is maybe filtered through ego or through their own lack of understanding maybe but yeah trying to convince some man that we deserve the same amount of respect as any random bunch of white dudes can be quite frustrating and it does feel like a bit pointless sometimes really. So how do you all navigate that? I don't know. We have a good team. I think it's good that we have management now that can push for those things for us before. Because I think, I don't know if people were necessarily listening to us before. (laughs) So now we have managers that can be a bit more demanding. (laughs) I think that's helped kind of having the right people to help support us. I think having the right team is definitely key. I'm hearing that from you. It's like crafting the team basically from the ground up. And again, whether the intention is for your own well-being or to make a statement or both, it does help in terms of what people are seeing. When you're moving through the world as a touring band or going to the studio or who's showing up to set up your press, it definitely does help because it's shifting that narrative of who ends up being those people in charge. Yeah, definitely. It brings a different energy to these rooms and it means we can kind of bring people with us that deserve to be in those spaces because there are so many people that could do all of these jobs that maybe don't get the chance because it's hard to get experience people don't always give people a paid internship to become like a roadie or a sound person so bringing people along on our team and trying to work with people in that way I think can be a little revolutionary act within this kind of wider industry absolutely and you worked again with Margot Broom on this album speaking of your team yeah what can you tell us about working with her and how this album might be the next progression for Big Joni sonically. We worked with Margot on the first album and we just work really well with her. You know, it's not many women producers around. So I think a bit like what Steph was saying before, it's like, who do we work with and who do we feel comfortable with and who's got our best interests at heart? And I think often when you're a new band, you know, it's maybe a management will come up, come in and go, you're going to go with this like big name producer, but actually end up having a horrible experience. <laughs> Whereas our experience of Margot has always been a good and sort of creatively collaborative one as well. I think the sort of sounds and just the kind of expansiveness of this album has really come from our experiences of playing on big stages with bigger bands. Yeah. And, you know, looking at what they're doing, how they build their sound up. So coming from a very sort of DIY scene, it's amazing, but also can be weirdly quite conservative in how it thinks things should be you know you only have one amp here after that it's people it gets sort of like oh you're being too commercial or something but when you go and see like a band like the gossip or something who come from essentially the same scene as us and you see their live stage set up and they've got since here they've got a basis when there's no basis on the records they've got you know it's creating a different vibe on that stage for that crowd it's creating a performance so people can engage with you and what you want to say so it's taking that energy and putting that in the record so we started playing around drum machines synth sounds double layering in the sort of middle 
of like sounds that like you don't actually realize are happening, but that's what makes a record sound fuller. And then also like experimenting with reprise as well that we have in my arms, which I think we originally were wanting to put out as like a separate, almost like a B-side or 60s like mm-hmm. version, but it yeah. was so good. It seemed to make sense to put it in the album to sort of bring a kind of narrative arc in the album and I think people really respond to that really well so kind of getting back into the craft of making an album as an album as in itself Big Joni here with us on Shiro's, and the new album is called Back Home. Steph, Estella, and Shadeen. It's been so awesome to hang out with the three of you. And I know we talked a lot about issues and not the record. And if there's anything else that you want to talk about, I want to just open it up. Is there anything that we didn't touch on that you would love to say? I mean, it's really exciting times. There's so many amazing people of color bands that are coming out at the moment and hope that when people see our own journey that what we've done and how we've managed to achieve what we've done and that other people feel that they can do it too definitely and you know that doing your own tours and all that kind of stuff it is doable just sometimes it might take some people a little bit longer than others but I do feel you know we've been around like I said for almost 10 years now and I can see already the space from when, you know, a band starts like ours to when maybe they get their record deal and whatever has become much smaller. So I'm glad that we opened up those doors for people. Absolutely. And I'll add to that, too, that I love that you're creating this space in this genre. I'm seeing like it, it reminds me of what's been happening a little bit in Americana and in country here, Mm -hmm. you know? So cool. I do love the whole shiny American country music thing. It's quite big in the Caribbean. Uh So, like, I just love all the hats and the the glitziness of it and everything. (laughs) Me and Estella, when we were in Nashville, we went to the Country Hall of Fame and we saw just, like, at the end, the sort of diversity in country that's expanding and the representation there which is really exciting. So it's great. I think it's happening across all different genres that people have seen as being quite monocultural. Yeah. I did have one other thing to say. We will be doing our first US tour in 2023. So we'll be going to the West Coast in March and the East Coast in May. So yeah, really exciting to, you know, finally be on this US label and actually get to tour properly. Like people have been asking us to come over for a long time. So Hopefully everybody will come and see us. Should be really good. Hell yeah. <laughs> Big congratulations to Big Joni. Thank you for being here oh, on Shiro's. What should we go out with today? Maybe happier still. It's just a banger. I want to feel
big thanks once again to Big Joni. Thank you for being here on Shiro's. Thank thanks. you. Many thanks once again to Big Joni for being with us. The new album, Back Home, is out now on Kill Rock Stars. And be sure to catch them on their first U.S. tour, which starts in March. Shiro's is produced by me, is mixed and mastered by Kelly Drake. We get production assistance from Emma Philippos. Our original theme music is by Lucius. Shiro's is also a nationally syndicated radio show. You can visit shirosradio.com to find out more and support our work with Patreon or merch from the Shiro's shop. Keep in touch on Instagram and Twitter. I'm at Carmel Holt or find us at Shiro's Radio. And please consider leaving us a rating and review wherever you listen to your podcasts. That helps us grow and bring you more Shiro's. Until next time, remember, music is our superpower. I'm Carmel Holt. Thanks for listening.